0: Today our country faces serious challenges, challenges that require clear, informed thinking, thinking that's outside the box. Your host, Jeff Nyquist. To
1: the ones that wear the uniforms, to the ones that lost their lives, to a nation that's been torn,
2: God hears your painful cries, I will stand with you, my friend. But justice will amend America, America.
3: Hello, I'm Jeff Nyquist. Welcome to another edition of Outside the Box. We are told that communism collapsed in 1991, that the Soviet Union lost the Cold War. But after 17 years, we find that the number of socialist governments following anti-U.S. policies has been steadily increasing. In Africa, the communists won the Angolan Civil War. In South Africa, the communists-dominated African National Congress formed a one-party state to control Africa's richest, most strategically important country. The number of African countries that have become communist and now are aligned with Red China can't hardly be numbered. In Latin America, the communists created the Sao Paulo Forum, and used democratic methods to put leftist politicians in power throughout the continent. Six years ago, I interviewed the pilot of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. He said that Hugo Chavez was a communist, that Chavez was forming a communist bloc in South America, that he intended to destroy the United States by economic warfare, terrorism, and by open warfare. Tonight's special guest is the leader of the opposition in Latin America, the man who is fighting the communists, who is opposing Hugo Chavez, Fidel Castro, Lula da Silva, and Daniel Ortega. The main enemy of the United States is still the communist bloc. The KGB is still in charge in Moscow. The communist party still rules China. Castro's Cuba is still a communist fortress island. Moscow controls Europe through energy, organized crime, and the social democratic parties. China now dominates Asia using trade as a weapon. The communization of Latin America is part of a strategy cooked up by the Russians decades ago to encircle and isolate the United States. To bring Latin America into the communist bloc, it was first necessary to drop the communist label. By taking over the left and using moderate socialism as a Trojan horse, the communists have started a civil war in Colombia where the communist troops fight under the banner of FARC, and in Brazil... A once-great ally of America has been turned into an anti-American enclave. Oil-rich Venezuela was taken over by Hugo Chavez, close friend of Fidel Castro and a self-proclaimed Maoist. The communists in South America use narcotics trafficking as a way to infiltrate and corrupt. The money spent in the United States on South American narcotics goes, in most cases, to communist guerrilla organizations in Colombia. In Bolivia, one of the organizers of the cocaine growers, and also a communist organizer, has taken power. In Ecuador, Chile, and Nicaragua, we see candidates of the radical left also winning power. Does America realize what is happening? Do we care? I am Jeff Nyquist. The show is called Outside the Box. We will be back with our guest, the man who is fighting for us all, after these messages.
0: Listening to Outside the Box with
4: Jeff Nyquist. WIBG 1020, live local radio for Atlantic City, Cape May, and all of South Jersey. All right, oh, one time kick, they blew it, but the Vikings right there to field it. I
3: think it takes guts to come out like you are doing right now. And
4: if all of us will listen to this station more, I'm just so keen up about it. We talked about it by the hour. We are going to pursue this until we're satisfied. WIBG 1020, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020, we're everywhere. Listening to
0: Outside the Box with Jeff Dykquist.
3: All right, our very special guest uh, on the show is Alejandro Pena Esluza. He is a presidential candidate in Venezuela, leader of the anti-Marxist opposition in uh, South America. I want to welcome him to the show. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Pena.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be in your program.
3: And uh, we in the United States don't quite understand what's happening down south in Venezuela with Hugo Chavez and all of the other uh, countries down there. Can you maybe uh, inform our listeners what is happening down there and and why do Americans need to start paying attention?
1: Of course. Twenty years ago, when the uh, Berlin Wall fell down, Fidel Castro and Lula da Silva decided to create a new Latin American Marxist organization in order to help each other and somehow substitute the support they were having before from the Soviet Union and the communist government of uh, Eastern Europe uh, for something different, for a new international Latin American Marxist uh, political organization. So they created, this was in July of 1990, the Sao Paulo Forum, because the name was uh, such because it was first convened in the city of Sao Paulo. Sixty-eight Latin American leftist groups, Uh, went there, including the Colombian narco-terrorist guerrilla, and they decided to interchange information, trips all over, a meeting every year. Hugo Chavez became member of the Sao Paulo Forum in the year 1995, and he made a deal with all the Latin American leftist groups. They would help him out to become president of Venezuela on the condition that once president of my country, he would use the oil revenues of Venezuela to finance and promote all the leftist groups in Latin America. Nowadays, there are 14 governments linked to the Sao Paulo Forum in Latin America. And I believe that it's a very important threat to the United States and that the American population does not know even of the existence of the Sao Paulo Forum.
3: Yes, that's quite true. Would you say that Hugo Chavez is a communist?
1: I would say he's a Marxist and uh, he he has developed a different kind of dictatorship. I would call him a third generation dictator. Fidel Castro uh, is more crude, more brutal, more direct, but uh, now that communism has learned new ways of acting, and has evolved, has changed like a virus that changes to be more efficient, Hugo Chavez and his friends like Evo Morales, the president of Bolivia, Rafael Correa in Ecuador, and uh, Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, use the change of the constitutional amendments in order to take control of the system and become dictators with the appearance of being people who defend democracy or act democratically.
3: Mm-hmm. I understand that Chávez has gotten a lot of help from uh, the Castro regime over the years. How far along the road to totalitarianism is Venezuela at this point?
1: Well, it's not yet like the Cuban regime, but it's becoming more and more like so. The same thing we could say about Bolivia and, and Ecuador, the situation there is not as advanced as in Venezuela, but they're becoming more and more like Venezuela, and their final... The objective is to be like Cuba. The Castro regime has helped Chávez be in power ideologically, philosophically, and at the same time, uh, Chávez has used the Venezuelan oil money to finance the Castro regime and make sure that it stays there strong.
3: Do they have Mexico in
1: their sights? Almost they did, because uh, Andrés Manuel López Obrador, who almost won last uh, presidential elections against uh, Felipe Calderón, he's a member of the Sao Paulo Forum, and he lost by just a few votes. So there is a danger that uh, Mexico might also fall. It sounds to me
3: like, as I read and I talk to other Venezuelans, that what they're building there in Venezuela is along Soviet lines. That is, it's going to be a police state. It's going to be a state in which a certain ideology is, and a certain party is supreme. And one of its strategic aims is the destruction of the United States.
1: Yeah, you're right in your assessment. What uh, Venezuela is building uh, with Cuba is like the Soviet Union of Latin America. This is what they want to do. And in alliance with other groups that maybe ideologically or philosophically are not the same, but somehow they share the same hate against North America. That is why Chavez has signed agreement with the government of Iran. The president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, traveled to Latin America and signed agreements with the governments of Bolivia, Ecuador, and Nicaragua as well. So we have here, south of the United States, south of the border, governments who are working together with the fundamentalist terrorist government of Iran.
3: I do remember eight years ago, Fidel Castro traveled to Iran and gave a speech. And I remember I read the speech about five times because I couldn't believe it. And in the speech, he said, together we're going to put the Americans on their knees, he was saying. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's the kind of speech he's been giving uh, since a long time ago.
3: Um, Now, China, I've heard that China has some involvement. uh, I'd read a news story just a little blip some years back that Chavez went to Beijing and he said, I am a Maoist? Yeah. Am I remembering that right?
1: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he said it. Uh, people were making fun of him because they were saying that uh, Chinese uh, are not Maoists any longer, but uh, Chavez is still a Maoist. But it's a signal of how Chavez thinks, you know, love to revive the Soviet Union and the old communist regime.
3: And he has a sort of relationship with the KGB regime and the Kremlin He's gone to visit the Kremlin a number of times, and he's gotten deals to build, what, arms plants in Venezuela?
1: Well, he's got uh, planes, uh, fighter jets, uh, helicopters from Russia. He's using the money that belongs to all Venezuelans to build up a weapon system that is not according to our necessities. So, obviously, he wants to use that for something else, which is not the protection of the country.
3: And he's also supporting the Marxist insurgency in neighboring Colombia, isn't he?
1: Well, the relation with the FARC, it's a long-time relation, since they both Chavez and the Colombian guerrillas belong to the Sao Paulo Forum. Uh, One year ago, one of the most important sites of the uh, uh, Colombian guerrilla that was in Ecuador was attacked by the Colombian army, And the second in charge, Raul Reyes, was killed in that military operation. Mm -hmm. And eight, uh, not only computers, but also hard drives, were seized by the Colombian army. And all the information retrieved from there proves that Chavez and the FARC have had relations from a long time ago. Uh, The narco-terrorist groups in Colombia financed his presidential campaign. And when Chavez became president, he used the uh, Venezuelan government money to finance the uh, uh, FARC.
3: That is is terrifying. So he's already in league with communist terrorists in South America. And he is leaguing himself with Middle Eastern terrorists and, and terrorist regimes. And his target is the United States. Um, is he militarizing Venezuela or is he just uh, just preparing the political ground for the future?
1: Well, he's trying to. Uh, there's also good news. The population does not want Chavez any longer. He's not loved anymore by the population. And the reason why he wins elections is, is because the electoral system in Venezuela is fraudulent.
3: So it's fraudulent. Now, I remember uh, when they had this what was it, a referendum on his presidency a couple of years ago, three years ago?
1: Well, in Venezuela, there have been elections every year, because Chavez wants to uh, create an image where people think that in Venezuela there is a democracy.
3: democracy.
1: So there's elections, just to prove that uh, people are with him. The last referendum we've had, was just a couple of months ago,
3: uh-huh.
1: in order to change the constitution and to permit him to be re-elected permanently.
3: So he's going to be president for life.
1: Yeah, president for life. That's, that's what he would like. I don't think he'll be able to make it, but that's what he would like.
3: So you've run against him for the office of president, and you've found support in the society. How are the Venezuelan people feel? They've, they must feel cheated if this guy now has stolen the elections.
1: Well, the Venezuelan population is very democratic and they like to use specific means of changing governments. But uh, the government of Chavez has closed all possibilities to Austin them for an election. So uh, Chavez is creating a situation for social unrest and for anarchy to take over Venezuela. I believe the combination of Economic crisis and hardcore information on his relation with terrorism and uh, the fact that the electoral system is fraudulent and all of that is creating a condition where the vulnerability will be very difficult for him in the next few months.
3: With me is Alejandro Pena. He is uh, a political leader in Venezuela. Your organization's UNO America and there's a unoamerica.org that you can go to on the internet, and then there's there's the um, the force for solidarity that you lead. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about these organizations that you're you're leading.
1: Of course, uh, just one thing before that, in unoamerica.org, if you go to the uh, part that says books in Spanish, libros, you will find there the electronic link. The PDF link for the book about the Sao Paulo Forum that I just took out of editing, you will find it there. It's totally translated uh, and you can read it in English so people who are listening to us can understand what this threat is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fuerza Solidaria, it's an NGO created in Venezuela many years ago to fight against this regime of Chavez and to promote freedom on democracy and free elections. But we learned that it's very difficult to fight inside your own territory when your enemy is international. Chavez is not just a national project, he's part of an international effort to take over the continent. So we learned through uh, fighting against him and fighting for democracy that it was impossible to be efficient if we did not have alliances with other pro-democracy, pro-freedom forces in Latin America. So we decided to create an umbrella, a platform for Latin American NGOs, and this is how last December we created UNO America, which is a federation of NGOs belonging to Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, Bolivia, Colombia, Venezuela, El Salvador, Peru, Chile. So we're all uh, uniting our efforts to understand what this threat is and to build an international passport to defend democracy in America.
3: That sounds very good. Um, Now you see NGO, that means non-government organization. That's right. And this is an attempt to sort of match what the Marxists are doing by creating this international network. You're attempting to create the same thing to oppose what they're doing.
1: That's right. And also to uh, propose economic programs that would solve the basic problem of Latin America, which is poverty. I mean, the Sao Paulo Forum exists because there is poverty and ignorance. Mm-hmm. So not only do we have to fight the Sao Paulo Forum, but also we have to promote the industrialization and development and employment in Latin America. If people is well-informed, if people is educated, if people live in dignity conditions, then they will never listen to these communists.
3: Yes. I'm very interested in what the reaction in your visit to the United States has been. Here in the United States, it seems that we have been ignoring the problem in Latin America, the rising of the left there and what it represents. There's a vague sense that there's a lot of hate coming from down south. And I think Americans respond to that with some guilt. Uh, they, They feel somehow they deserve it or that maybe we've been bad in the past and that we, we don't want to confront it. What, what would you say to Americans about this?
1: Well, it has to do with the Sao Paulo Forum, because it's not that, that the Latin American population hates the United States. It's the governments of the Sao Paulo Forum who uses the excuse of the bad Americans to promote dictatorships in Latin America they, with the excuse that they're defending themselves from imperialism. It's just an excuse. I mean... Chavez actually uses the anti-American speech to somehow cover what he's doing against us Venezuelans. So the hate comes from them, these members of the Sao Paulo Forum, not from the population.
3: With me is Alejandro Pena. He is a leader in Venezuela. He has run for president against Hugo Chavez, and he's attempting to stop Marxism in South America. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and we'll be back... After these commercial messages.
0: You're listening to Outside the
4: Box with Jeff Nyquist At
1: 1020
4: AM or WIBG.com, we're the area's first choice for Christian News Talk and a whole lot more. WIBG 1020 on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020. We're everywhere.
3: And now we're back. I am Jeff Nyquist. And with me is my guest, Alejandro Pena. And um, I am so amazed that this has happened. Here the Soviet Union collapsed. People thought communism was dead. And now here it is uh, full-blown in South America. The United States is ignoring the problem. And we have a KGB regime in, in Russia. We have still their communists in Beijing, even if they're, they're not openly Maoist. Is there going to be a new communist bloc? Is there going to be a new Cold War? And and is the United States going to find itself in a hopeless position?
1: Well, there is already a communist bloc in Latin America, which is the Sao Paulo Forum. It's not the same old communism from the Soviet Union, but it, it has the same philosophical roots. And it's probably more efficient because it's related to all anti-Western civilization groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have now, it's... Uh, is more complicated, and it's based also in anti-cultural values. Mm-hmm. So the problem is already there, uh, but maybe it has not been investigated enough because of the thought that communism had disappeared. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't disappear, it just changed.
3: It changes formation. Um, let's go through the countries in South America and you can maybe tell me what the progress of the Sao Paulo Forum is. We know in Venezuela, we have, uh, President Chavez and it's, uh, the, the state is firming up. Is it dangerous for you and your activities in that country? Are they making threats to you there? I mean, the communists tend to be thugs. That's sort of the perception here in the United States. Is, is that starting to happen in Venezuela?
1: Well, It is always dangerous to fight against these terrorists, not only because they're in the government, but because they're related to narco-terrorist groups that commit uh, terrorist acts. But uh, part of the population is willing to fight against this, because there's no other choice, even if it's dangerous. It's like fighting a war. A war is not something that you like or that you don't like. It's something that you have to fight to save your country and to save future generations. it is dangerous, but it is a fight that must be fought. Mm-hmm. And it must be fought internationally because it's an international enemy. Now, speaking about the situation of Latin America, Sao Paulo Forum has two different, let's say, uh, factions. The moderate faction and the radical faction. The moderate faction doesn't look that bad, but they work together with the radicals. It's like the good cop and the bad cop working together in the same case, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In the moderate faction, you will have people like Lula in Brazil, Tabaré Vásquez in Uruguay, Michel Bachelet in Chile, René Preval in Haiti, Fernando Lugo in Paraguay, Leonel Fernández in Dominican Republic, Martín Torrijos in, in Panama. And then in the radical faction, you will have Raúl Castro in Cuba, uh, Hugo Chávez in Venezuela, Rafael Correa in Ecuador, uh, Evo Morales in Bolivia. Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua, and you could say also that uh, Cristina Kirchner from Argentina belongs to the radical faction. We're talking about 14 governments in Latin America who belong to the Sao Paulo Forum. The ones that do not belong to the Sao Paulo Forum is basically Mexico, uh, but as I said in the beginning, is, is in danger because of the influence of the PRD, the party related to the Sao Paulo Forum in mm-hmm. Mexico. Then you have, uh, of course, Álvaro Uribe in Colombia. Uh, he's been under attack by the Sao Paulo Forum forces inside and outside Colombia. And finally, Alan García in, in Peru does not belong to the Sao Paulo Forum. So, as you can say, well, of course, there are also the little islands of Latin America and other little governments in terms of territory, right? El Salvador is not in control, to Sao Paulo Forum is not in control of El Salvador, but they're having elections in a few mm-hmm. days, which I hope the Hugo Chavez candidate does not win the election there.
3: Yeah, I've heard it's very close possibly there.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, then if they won El Salvador, they would have a, a hold on every government in Latin America, every major government, but three.
1: Yeah, that's right.
3: That is astonishing. They, they've they really pulled off something here.
1: They've done it very fast in the last few years, and they've done it without being noticed by the Western countries. It's not that we haven't worn it, but because people thought that communism was over, they They wouldn't see that the threat was just in front of their nose.
3: And when you campaign against Chavez, what kind of rhetoric does he use to to get the people who do support him motivated? What is it that he says?
1: Well, first he lies. He promises things, then he finally does not do. Then he uses the money that belongs to all of us to buy consciences. Then he persecutes people, his uh, political enemies. And finally, he closes TV stations or newspapers or radios that speak against him. Not all of them, like Fidel Castro did in Cuba, but maybe the most important one, like RCTV, the most important TV station, the oldest one, the more prestigious one, the, the one who has more audience in Venezuela. He simply just closed it. So the rest of the... uh Newspaper, radios, and TV stations, they censor themselves because they think that something might happen to them if they speak against the government. So they only speak against Chavez, but only halfway.
3: So he uses bribery, intimidation, censorship, and lies. That's right. Which means that he's, he's very bad.
1: Well, it's more efficient than just being a direct uh, declared dictator.
3: Mm hmm. It's more subtle. He's. He's a soft he's a soft totalitarian.
1: Yeah, uh, he looks like soft but actually more dangerous type of uh totalitarianism.
3: Yes, because it's like you say it's more efficient.
1: More efficient.
3: The iron fist in the velvet glove. You know, I interviewed uh his pilot Chavez's pilot some years ago. He d- defected and escaped from the regime and he told me that Chavez dreamed of destroying the United States, of attacking it economically, of using terrorism, and eventually any means he could to destroy the United States. He is completely focused on hating the United States. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that he knows that for him personally, it's very difficult to succeed in that.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. He might help that to happen, but he doesn't personally have means. Although he could do the same thing that Fidel Castro did with the Soviet Union during the 60s, create Mm -hmm. a uh, missile crisis or something like that.
3: Oh, you think that he would import missiles and try to get his hands on nuclear weapons?
1: Oh, if he could, he would, yes. Hmm. But it is important to understand that he uses the North American hatred to justify what he's doing inside. Whatever happens in Venezuela, whatever goes wrong, he always says, oh, that's the United States. So that's the excuse because he's the dictator who is stepping on the, the little Venezuelans. But he's saying, oh, big North America is stepping upon me, so I must defend myself. But that's not true. That's the excuses he uses to be a dictator in my country.
3: So it's it's an effective propaganda to demonize the United States and to blame things, using it as a scapegoat in his country. And so, therefore, when he screws up the oil industry in Venezuela, when he destroys private industry and business and initiative in the country, he can claim the United States are strangling him.
1: Of course. He's been 10 years in government already. When the old constitution permitted only five years with no re-election. So he changed it, and he's been now 10 years, and he tends to be 30 years more. But during these 10 years, his national government budget has been the largest in the Venezuelan history, because 90% of our income comes from oil. And since the barrel went to $12 when Chavez became president to $130 or $140, he received the largest budget in the history of Venezuela. And what has he done with it? Nothing. No construction of housing, no development, no employment, no technology, no infrastructure. He's used it all to build his revolution and to finance candidates all over Latin America. So... Now that the oil price went down and the crisis started to hit Venezuelans, he's saying the Americans are guilty. We're to blame the Americans because the American crisis. So he uses North America as a scapegoat for the wrongs he has done.
3: Now, I imagine there are people who were kind of enthusiastic supporters of him 10 years ago, who may be saying something different. Uh, are there such people? And, and what do they say now, for example, to, to someone like yourself?
1: Well, he won the elections legally and cleanly 10 years ago, but, but now his real support is less than 30%. But because he commits electoral fraud, it looks like he had more, but actually it's less than 30 And of that percentage, most of the people support him is the ones that get a monthly allowance just to dress a red shirt and shout, you know, Chavez, Chavez, Chavez. They're not really ideological or they don't really believe in him. They just use the money that, that he gives them.
3: Now that he's created a, a, a sort of controlled state where he can determine the outcome of the elections, is there any possibility of removing him from power short of a, of a, of a revolution or civil war?
1: Well, not probably a civil war, but in Latin America there have been examples of democratic changes of government without elections. For example, Fujimori, for example, uh, De La Rue in Argentina, or Carlos Mesa and Gonzalo Sánchez de Lozada in Bolivia, Mm -hmm. or Lucio Gutiérrez in Ecuador, or or, uh, Color de Melo in Brazil, how they came out of government. It was not through elections or through civil war or through a coup, a military coup. It was people being tired of these guys. They went out to the streets, and the military refused to repress them. So mm-hmm. the government had to renounce the president to resign. And, and I think that might happen in Venezuela, Ecuador, uh, Bolivia, and probably, first of all, Nicaragua, because Daniel Ortega is having problems because of the economic situation.
3: Well, and certainly when in a condition like Venezuela where... Uh, Chavez has made the country's situation much worse it would seem natural that the people would would uh, feel outraged at at him That's right So in your reception in Washington what what would you like to tell Americans what do we need to do and and how do we need to focus on this
1: Well I believe that the first thing it must be done is to create the interest in in understand what is happening in Latin America, to investigate, to study, to read about the situation in Latin America, and don't think any longer that the threat is just in the Middle East. It is also in South America. So the first thing is to be aware of the danger, and I would very much encourage everyone who is listening to read the book on the Sao Paulo Forum that they can just uh, download from the website unoamerica.org. That would be a start, to become aware of the problem. After that, I think we must build an alliance between all the pro-democracy and pro-freedom forces in Latin America and North America and Central America to fight together against an enemy that is international.
3: Yeah, and it's, it, it is international. I was curious about Chile and how it, it goes with Chile. They've got that lady president there. What is the state of, of the situation in Chile?
1: Well, Michelle Bachelet, the president of Chile, she is a member of the Sao Paulo Forum. Mm-hmm. But uh, some moderates of the Sao Paulo Forum cannot do what they would like to do because there are certain institutional forces that would not permit them to do what Chávez is doing in Venezuela. For example, uh, it is a mistake to think that uh, Lula is the counterpart of Chávez. Lula is the creator of the Sao Paulo Forum, He's a socialist like Chávez is. He's a friend of Fidel Castro. He's a friend of the uh, Colombian FARC. But he acts like he's a pro-democracy man because he needs to be. Mm -hmm. We must not forget that uh, Brazil is the the eighth economy in the Western Hemisphere. So the institutions in Brazil would not let Lula do what Chavez is doing in in Venezuela. He would be impeached immediately. Mm -hmm. The same situation is also true for uh, Michel Bachelet in uh, Chile. I mean, the leftist forces in Chile are not strong enough as to do what they would like to do. But they love Chavez and they support Chavez.
3: So basically, the democratic institutions in Brazil and Chile are too strong for them to attempt the power grab that we 've seen Chavez do in Venezuela,
1: yeah, what they do is that they try to go in the outside and try to surround the the uh, the the country with leftist governments all over, so it'll be easier in the future for them to grab power the left i mean to grab power in in their own countries. I mean they have a an international outlook of the problem, and they believe that Every country that becomes part of the Sao Paulo Forum, it will help them, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday, to become member of the Sao Paulo Forum too. This is their objective. I don't think they're going to make it, but this is what they want to do.
3: Let's talk about Colombia for a, a minute. It's, it's right next door to, to Venezuela, and of course it has a border with, with Brazil. How serious is the pressure on Colombia that would possibly cause Colombia to be demoralized in its fight against uh, the Marxist guerrillas. Is this pressure to get them to cave in to political demands of the FARC?
1: There's pressures not only from the outside, from the uh, Latin American environment, but also from the inside. Uh, Álvaro Uribe, in my opinion, a hero who had been able to protect Colombia to become a member of the Sao Paulo Forum and the people who help him. Uh, The FARC are not the only Colombian members of the Sao Paulo Forum. There are other parties that are more moderate, like the Polo Democrático Alternativo, who are also members of the Sao Paulo Forum, and they're working against Uribe. So there's an alliance between radicals and moderates from the left inside Colombia to destroy Uribe, and there's an international alliance against him. I would say that the most important enemy in Latin America against the Sao Paulo Forum is Álvaro Uribe, and they're all fighting together against him. They're trying to overthrow him or to change him or to make sure no one close to him wins next election of the next year. So uh, Colombia has a very difficult situation indeed. Yeah, you
3: know, I read something, and I, I don't know if it's true. Uh, it was shocking to me. It was that our new president, President Obama, there's one foreign leader that he won't speak to, And it's Uribe. I heard somebody mention it in a news story, and I'm not sure that it's true. I was just wondering if you'd heard that at all.
1: Well, I understand that uh, Obama called Uribe a few weeks ago, or at least I read that in the news.
3: Well, that's good. But it
1: would be a very bad mistake if that is happening, because I believe that the most important ally that democracy in the United States has right now is the government of Uribe.
3: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, with me is Alejandro Pena. He is uh, leader of the Force for Solidarity and unoamerica.org, and we'll be back with more after
0: these messages. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist.
4: Some radio stations are just noise and chatter. WIBG 1020 AM is radio with a passion and purpose. From early in the morning to Grossman Afternoons, Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays, and Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life.
3: All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and with me is my guest, Alejandro Pena. And we're talking about the troubles in his country, Venezuela, with its president Hugo Chavez. And um, I was just uh, uh, curious. There was a, a time uh, when when there were protests going on in your country in the Plaza Altamira. And and before that, in that same year, I think it was 2002 to 2003, when uh, Chavez was temporarily out of power. There was like a attempt to remove him.
1: Yeah, because he ordered kill people killing people and the military didn't want to do that so there was a a social political and military crisis then he said that there there was a coup but actually he resigned because uh, the authorities the military authorities didn't want to obey orders of killing innocent and unarmed people
3: and uh a lot of these military officers they basically resigned a lot of them didn't they
1: yeah, they were then persecuted because they didn't follow the orders of murdering people.
3: Did he replace those military commanders with with fellow Marxists?
1: Well, not Marxists, but with people who would follow his orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say opportunistics, because you will find very little Marxist people inside the military in Venezuela or in the country of Venezuela. I mean, the population is not Marxist. Right. The government is.
3: So what he's doing is is really very tricky and he could easily make a misstep as he did at the time. So he must have learned a lesson from that, that he can't really order his forces to kill his enemies because those forces would turn against him.
1: That's right. So he's trying to build a paramilitary force. He's trying to do something with the Colombia guerrilla. He's trying to be helped by the uh, Islamic fundamentalist uh, people because he knows he cannot trust the military and that's the same situation for bolivia ecuador and nicaragua even though people think that our militaries in our country are all rotten and bad which is not true part of it yes but not all of them they're not marxist ideologically they are not Mm -hmm. so the military with the sao paulo forum is not for philosophical or ideological reasons but just for opportunistic reasons. But when it comes to the point of killing people and committing crimes against humanity and and all that, they're not as dumb as to follow that kind of order.
3: So basically, in order to develop totalitarianism in South America, Chavez and others like him would have to develop institutions similar to those that exist in Russia and China with the Public Security Bureau and the KGB, where you have people who are trained killers who are willing to follow whatever order is given by the center.
1: Yeah, although my opinion is that they will make it. That's why I believe that this year and next year we're going to have changes in Latin America. The economic crisis will force them to try and stay in power through repression, but the military and the police institutions will not follow that kind of order, so there's going to be political, social, and military crisis, at least in four countries, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Venezuela. And we in America are not only people who denounce what they're doing, but we're working. We're building a resistance in all those countries in order to make sure that the communist system is not implemented in our countries.
3: So it's really a matter of educating people to not go along with things that are not constitutional or not correct or not right.
1: That's right. That's why we write so many documents and give uh, you know lectures, as a matter of fact, Tonight, I'm going to speak to uh, Latin American students who are here in Washington and give lectures and speeches and have meetings and conferences all the time, because it is a matter of educating people in liberty and democracy, ideas and philosophy.
3: That's yes, very good. And, and, and how have you been received here in the United States during your visit? Have, have the Americans gone, wow, we want to hear more, we want to know more?
1: Yeah, that's what I felt. I've been interviewed by certain journalists and radio stations and TV stations and I met with politicians, think tanks and institutions and students and uh, the first reaction was maybe amazement. Oh, I didn't know this was happening here. I didn't know that was happening there. Uh, but then after that, there was the need to know more. And I'm very happy with this. And I think I should come more often because I usually travel through Latin America, but not much inside the United States.
3: Well, I'm, I'm so glad you did. Is there any final words you'd like for our American listeners?
1: Well, uh, just to have hope, to have faith uh, that uh, at the end, the uh, victory is going to belong to democracy and freedom. It's going to be very difficult, and it's important to understand this problem and to work together to build an alliance, to never get demoralized, because these guys, even though they might have power, the reason is not with them. The logical is not with them. The natural law is not with them. So at the end, they lose. They do not produce wealth or happiness or peace or democracy, and at the end, they lose. At least we're fighting for something good and for something that holds up. Yes.
3: Well, Mr. Pena, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Thank you very much. I'm running to my next conference.
3: All right. Good luck. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We'll be back after these messages. Don't go away.
0: You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist.
4: On air or online, we're Life Radio 1020 WIBG Christian News Talk with purpose and passion from early in the morning.
3: Now, in life, you're allowed to support whoever you want, but in partisan politics, there are rules.
4: Good Wednesday afternoons. Someone suspects they're an illegal immigrant. The cop is more afraid of arresting them, than, them. them. than of letting them go. Chuck Betts and Sports Saturdays. That's how you're battling it. Yeah, we're we're not, not, I like that. that. We're not going to ignore it. And Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider.
0: I think that's more than reasonable. I sort of you know we're talking about. 12 million dollars here. I don't
4: think any reasonable person would blame you one bit. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life.
3: I'm Jeff Nyquist, we're back, and you know this guest, Alejandro Pena, was extremely important. And I hope everyone listened very carefully to what he said. Because he said what lots of others that I've talked to from South America have been saying, that the left has taken over Latin America, has been progressively taking it over. And it is, as I said at the beginning of the program, part of a long-range strategy cooked up by the communist movement, which was coordinated in Moscow back in the 1950s and 60s. And it, it didn't die with the Soviet Union. And in fact, the KGB has been back in control of Moscow for a while now. The Cold War is still on. Nothing really has changed. Only now, America's nuclear arsenal has begun to rot. Now, as Secretary of Defense Gates said last November, that if we don't get a major infusion of cash into our nuclear weapons industry, if we don't get a new warhead program, our nuclear arsenal by next November is going to be useless. It's not going to be a deterrent. And we are facing Russia that is building fourth generation nuclear weapons and China, which is also building fourth generation nuclear weapons. And we don't even have fourth generation nuclear weapons. We don't even know what that technology looks like. I spoke a number of weeks back with an American intelligence expert, an expert in nuclear weapons and warfare. He told me that the country of Pakistan has a greater nuclear weapons production capacity than the United States today. Ladies and gentlemen, our nuclear arsenal is rotting, and we are being surrounded by our old enemy, the communists. You know, all these people who claim to be soft left in South America, whether it's in Chile or Brazil or Ecuador or Bolivia, these people, they hate the United States. They want to destroy the United States. And like I said at the beginning of the program, when I interviewed Juan Castillo, the pilot of Hugo Chavez, he told me that Chavez was a communist who wanted to destroy the United States. And he said that he was going to use economic means, he was going to use terrorist means, he was going to use any means he could. There's an interesting thing, a former KGB officer who's now the dean of the Diplomatic Academy in Moscow, Igor Panarin, has been making the news recently by predicting the breakup, the destruction of the United States. He was a KGB analyst for many years, he studied the United States. And this is what his his thesis is, he says... The United States is going to break up along ethnic lines because of the fallout from the financial crisis, that the United States is also ideologically divided, and that when the United States breaks up and is defenseless, other powers are going to move in. The United States is going to be broken into five or six different countries. China is going to control or have influence over the West Coast. Mexico is going to get the South. Alaska is going to return to Russia, and there's going to be a couple of rump states that might join Canada. This is what Igor Panarin is saying. And in fact, if anyone doubts that his analysis is correct, that the United States is headed for martial law, possible civil war, this year or next year, take a look at the kind of government we just elected in this country. The indications are that something's up with this new administration. President Barack Obama was recently taken to task by Senator Robert Byrd, who wrote him a letter saying, Sir, you are usurping the power of the United States Senate. You are creating agencies whose heads are not confirmed by the Senate. There is no congressional oversight. Why is President Obama expanding his powers? Obama wants to create a non-military defense force in the United States. Now, what exactly is a non-military defense force? In China, they call it the Public Security Bureau. In Russia, they call it state security. Another word for it is secret police. Could it be? I think there's reason to worry. What Panarin suggests is that our ideological divide is going to lead us into trouble. And Alan Keyes has made a statement recently. And I'd like to go over what Alan Keyes has said.
2: Obama is a radical communist, and I think it's becoming clear. That's what I told people in Illinois, and now everybody realizes it's true. He is going to destroy this country, and we're either going to stop him, or the United States of America is going to cease to exist.
3: These are fighting words from Alan Keyes. Fighting words. Obama is a radical communist. He is going to destroy this country if we don't stop him. Now, you can see Igor Panarin's civil war sort of in the statement of Alan Keyes. Alan Keyes himself may be considered far out for saying this, but Alan Keyes is a smart man. Why would he hurt himself by making this proclamation? Alan Keyes sees what people maybe saw with Hugo Chavez 10 years ago wait a minute, this Chavez isn't a populist reformer, he's a communist. What actually did people say when when they were told he's a radical communist? No, he's not a radical communist. He doesn't use that label. Now, whether Alan Keyes is right about Barack Obama or not, what if people start to believe that Obama's a radical communist? There you have Igor Panarin Civil War. All right, let's go to Alan Keyes' next statement.
2: The man is an abomination. He is someone who has actually advocated infanticide, that when babies are the target of abortion, if they happen to escape the abortionist's intention and are born alive, he actually supported the idea that those babies should be set aside to die. That is a man with such a seared conscience, I can't even understand why anybody in their right mind would consider him worthy of political support. That's a violation of conscience that is... Inconceivable. And even some of the most hardline pro-abortion people in America rejected that abomination. And he did not.
3: You see what Alan Keyes is saying, that the man is an abomination. And he's also saying, notice that the country is not in its right mind. Because after all, the country voted Barack Obama to be president. You see, the country's not in its right mind. It's made a horrible mistake. What happens next once this way of talking, which may be the truth, becomes prevalent and we may be headed in that direction? You realize he's talking about the President of the United States, or is he? Let's hear the next segment.
2: That's another question. Is he President of the United States? According to the Constitution, in order to be eligible for president, you have to be a natural-born citizen. Uh, he has refused to provide proof that he is, in fact, a natural born citizen. And his Kenyan relations say that he was born in Nairobi at a time when his mother was too young to transmit U.S. citizenship. So I'm not even sure he's president of the United States. No, that's not a laughing matter. Neither are many of our military people now who are going to court to ask the question do we have to obey a man who is not qualified under the Constitution? We're in the midst of the greatest crisis this nation has ever seen. And if we don't stop laughing, about it and deal with it, we're going to find ourselves in the midst of chaos, confusion, and civil war.
3: Chaos, confusion, and civil war. Now, we've got Igor Panarin's words. America's headed for civil war. This is what Alan Keyes is saying. This is what Igor Panarin is saying. Isn't it interesting? The two sides are saying the same thing. Is Barack Obama President of the United States? I got a call a few weeks back from a friend in Washington. He said, you're not going to believe what's going around in Washington. He said, the story is that the president has hired three different law firms and spent nearly a million dollars so that he doesn't have to show a birth certificate in a court of law. There's been about 40 lawsuits suggesting that the president isn't the legitimate president because he's not a natural born citizen. In the U.S. Constitution, there are two qualifications to be president of the United States. You must be 35 years of age or older, and you must be a natural-born citizen. And what uh, Alan Keyes was talking about was the fact that an 18-year-old woman married to a foreign national, having a child on foreign soil does not transmit natural citizenship to that child. If Barack Obama's mother had him in Kenya and she was 18 years of age, it means that since his father was a Kenyan and not an American, it means that Barack Obama's not a natural-born American. He's not qualified to be president. Now, this is a serious question, and it would create chaos, because if it suddenly were determined by the Supreme Court looking into it, because these cases of military officers questioning orders because they claim that the commander-in-chief is not really the commander-in-chief, that we have a usurper in the White House, that there really isn't a 44th president... If the Supreme Court made that determination, what do you think would happen? What would the generals in the military do? All military officers are sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. Well, the vice president, I could tell you right now, would not assume office. He would not say, oh, well, the Supreme Court says that uh, Barack Obama is not president. That means I have to be sworn in. He wouldn't do that. He'd say this is a political decision by a Supreme Court stuffed with Republican appointees, and there's no way that I'm going to assume the presidency, Barack Obama is the legal president, put this nonsense away. And you're going to have confusion. You're going to have some people that think that Barack Obama isn't the real president, and you've got other people that say, oh, no, that's nonsense. He's certainly an American citizen. And it's going to split the country. And there is the chaos and confusion. And, yes, it could be a civil war because if some military men go one way and others go another, you know, that oath is pretty serious. I will defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic? Wow. Let's see what else Alan Keyes has to say about the administration.
2: The person you call President Obama, and I frankly refuse to call him that. At the moment, he is somebody who is kind of an alleged usurper who is alleged to be someone who is occupying that office without constitutional warrant to do so. And he's rushing forward with ideas like destroying our borders, an amnesty bill that will actually have the American taxpayer footing the bill for illegals to come to this country to live, to get housing, and to get everything they want. He is also somebody who has just announced a program that would essentially destroy the validity of existing mortgages and encourage everybody in the country to stop paying their mortgage, because the government is going to pay it instead. This is insanity. It's as if we have put insane children and adolescents in charge of our government. And I think we need to ask simple questions. A couple of years ago, we were arguing over every penny in the United States budget, and it was quite clear we didn't have enough money to go around. Well, somebody asked me where we came up with $2 trillion in the course of the last six months. Did we wish for it out of the air? have people gone mad in this country you don't have that money we are claiming that a bankrupt government can save a bankrupt banking system explain to me how that happens because i think that's impossible And the fact that we have just elected an individual may or may not be qualified, and he presents silly ideas like this and says, let's move forward now. And we're all acting like the laws of economics have been repealed, and we can actually afford to foot the bill with money nobody's got. This is insane. It's got to lead to the collapse of our economy, and it's going to.
3: You know, he is right about that. Alan Keyes is right. Where does this money come from? Do you know how much more money your household owes now? It's tens of thousands of dollars per household in this country, an additional debt that each family in this country has assumed since these bailout bills have passed. And what have these bailout bills accomplished? In California here, we just crossed over to 10% unemployment. We're already in March, so the figures for February haven't come out yet, but I can tell you they're over 11%. The number of people losing their jobs in this country is is astronomical. We're going over the cliff economically. Businesses are falling, stores are closing, people are losing their houses. There's some places in this country where a quarter to a third of the people in certain towns can't pay their mortgages. It is the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The stock market a year ago, last October or August, whenever the peak of the market was, was at 14,000. Not long ago, it had fallen below 7,000. A more than 50% fall of the market. And it isn't going to stop falling, ladies and gentlemen. It may go up one day and down the next and up again, but it's headed down. Everything is headed down. People don't know what to put their money in. And the only thing we have left is a viable currency to allow us to recover. Because prices have to fall. People are going to lose their jobs. But the only way they're going to get their jobs back is if we let the prices fall and we let the people realize realistic price levels. The government can't, by any intervention, prevent this from happening. We caused the inflation by our way of life, by our borrowing, by our indebtedness, by our consumption habits. Now we're changing those habits. We're correcting it. The economy is teaching us to do that. The government's not going to let us. The president says we have to keep borrowing. We have to keep the previous system up. So it is like insane adolescent children running the the government. I don't know whether Obama is uh, the legitimate president or not. I assume that he is. But if what Alan Keyes says is right, and if it catches on, and if it proves true that Obama cannot establish his citizenship, if he had three law firms and paid out nearly a million dollars to prevent showing a birth certificate, if that is all true, then we are in trouble and we are headed for civil war. And what's happened in Latin America and what is happening in this country is part of something much larger, much more sinister. It's the destruction of America that the communist bloc has always dreamt of. I am Jeff Nyquist. I want to thank you for joining the program and I hope you will join us again next week at the same time. And I want you to all go to my website, jrnyquist.com, You've got links to my articles on there. You can read more articles about the economy.